I want to start with a question tonight, and you're in church, so I pretty much know how you're going to answer this. Uh, Human life, true or false? Yes or no? Human life is all about God. Yes, that's right. That's right, you did good. Now, if I walked up to you on Friday night... uh, down in downtown Milan, and I said, human life is all about God. Would that be true? Would it be true then? Would it be true then? Um, Human life is all about God. Human life is not about anything less than God. In all the countless blessings of your life, it's about God. And in all the really hard, painful, heart-wrenching trials of your life, it's all about God. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, or whether we live it or not, you're all about God. Your existence is all about God. Don't you hate it when um, Ignorant men, arrogant men, haughty men rail at God because the world's so messed up. Um, Why is the world messed up? What does your Bible say? My Bible says, and I think yours says the same thing, God put us in paradise. What did we do? Blew it. it. (laughs) Don't make me laugh. We did. We rebelled, didn't we? God put us in paradise. God put us in paradise and we inexplicably wanted something else. This is the great question that stumps theologians. How Adam and Eve could ever have fallen? How could they have ever fallen? Inexplicably, we wanted something else and we got something else, didn't we? We have something else. We don't have paradise anymore. We have Something else. A fallen, rebellious, dangerous world full of heartache and tragedy. A world full of discontent, discouragement, disappointment, and distress. It's what happens when men forsake God. It's what happens when men forget that everything's about Him. Right? It made me think of Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Many of you are familiar with this famous verse. God says, They have forsaken Me, the fountain of living water, to hewn for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, once a man makes his life about anything less than God, he's drinking from a dry well. Amen? He's drinking from a dry well. Mick Jagger is right. I don't often quote Mick Jagger. But when a guy's right, he's right. Maybe what's his his most famous song? Some of you older people will remember. He can't get any satisfaction. You know why? He's made it all about Mick Jagger. Right? That's why he can't get any satisfaction. And that's really the confession of every man on this, every man, woman, boy, or girl on this planet apart from Jesus Christ. There is no satisfaction to be found until you understand that your life is all about God. And only when you discover 
and begin to live that reality? Do you have any sense of satisfaction in your life and in your heart? I'm going to quote John Piper here. This is a pretty long quote. So are you guys up for it? Can you stay with me on the whole thing? Okay? I don't want to look up and half of you be asleep, okay? So it's not that long, but you should be able to hang in with me. I want you to hear every bit of this. I love this quote. It's my favorite quote in, uh, okay, we don't have any. In the little book, um, Pierced by the Word. But I want you to get this. John Piper says, human life is all about God. That is the meaning of being human. It is our created nature to make much of God. It is our glory to worship the glory of God. When we fulfill this reason for being, we have, I love this, we have substance. There is a weight and a significance in our existence. Knowing, enjoying, and thus displaying the glory of God is a sharing in the glory of God. Not that we become God-like or divine, but something of His greatness and beauty is on us when we realize this purpose for our being. He continues, Not to fulfill this purpose for human existence is to be a mere shadow of the substance we were created to have. A mere echo of the music we were created to make. He concludes, This is a great tragedy. Beloved, it is a tragedy if you think your life is about anything less than Jesus Christ. We were made by Him and what? For Him. him. Your life is about nothing less than the Lord Jesus Christ. Piper continues, Humans are not made to be shadows and echoes, but when humans forsake their Maker and love other things more, I want you to hear this, they become like the things they love. Listen to this. They become small and insignificant and weightless and inconsequential and God-diminishing. Now, there's a ton of theology there. There's a ton of anthropology there. And it's urgently necessary for us to understand this, that our life is all about Jesus Christ. Whether we acknowledge it or not. Whether we ever repent of our sins and come to Him by faith or not. He will be our Savior or He will be our judge. Ultimately, it's all about Him. I've told you many, many times, it's not about you. (laughs) And it's not about me. Human life is all about God. This is the preeminent meaning of being a human being. So I want to ask you before I get into the text, have you understood this about yourself? Have you understood that your life is all about Jesus Christ? Would you say your life has a God-centered substance and weight and significance? Or would you say your life is merely a shadow or an echo of that reality? This is a powerful indictment. I'm going to read it to you again. When humans forsake their maker 
and love lesser things more, their lives become small like the things they love. I couldn't help, when I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think of the words in Psalm 119. The psalmist says, I will, I will run the way of thy word, O Lord, for you will enlarge my heart. Don't you love that? Lord, you will enlarge my heart. Psalm 119. It's what happens to men and women when they really go after Christ. We're not talking about, you know, you've heard me say it a million times, we're not talking about religion. We're talking about being in a life-changing, heart-exploding relationship with the Son of God. When we really go after Christ, no more shadows and echoes, no more Jagger syndrome, enlarged hearts. And this is what Paul's been saying to us all the way through Philippians. Paul's got this giant heart, right? You can't have his joy. You can't have his life. You can't have his courage and his faith. He's not going to give it to you no matter what you do to him. He's just got this huge God-sized heart. And you can't, you can't beat it out of him. You can't beat this joy and this abundant life that he has. Jesus called it the abundant life. Let me ask you, friend, are you living the abundant life? <clears throat> the final definition of the abundant life is that you understand it's not about you. It is about Jesus. That's when you get plugged in to the abundant life. It's not about small, finite, temporal, inconsequential things. It is about Jesus. <clears throat> and I think this is one thing Paul's been saying to us all the way through Philippians. We've repeatedly <clears throat> discussed that Paul's circumstances are not good. In fact, some would say they are, are dire. But tonight, as I read the text, you heard it. That's the 14th time that Paul has used the word joy or used the word rejoicing. I think it's important that we recount his circumstance just so you remember. You may not remember. Where is Paul when he writes this letter? In He's in prison. Who's he chained to? A Roman soldier, 24-7. What's going on outside the, outside the church uh, with respect to Paul in some places? He's being slandered out in the church by, by uh, some men in the church. What else is going on? He's subject to the caprice of Caesar, right? He may have his head chopped off any day. Now, here's a man who nonstop continues to talk about what? Joy and rejoicing. I've asked you this many times. Let me ask you, friends, how easily do you give up your joy during the day? How easily do you give up your joy during the day? Paul says, you can't have it. I've, Paul says, I've got one of those enlarged hearts, man. And circumstance cannot touch it. Circumstance cannot touch the joy that I have. Paul has that enlarged heart. He refuses to settle for anything less than God Himself. Let me ask you, have you settled for anything less in your life than God Himself? Is God your ultimate and preeminent pursuit? Is God where you're pouring your passions and, and your desires and your efforts and your resources? Is it about God? Is it about Christ? Paul says it's all about Jesus for me. He had a life of substance and weight and significance. We, 
We saw it last week. Paul said, be anxious for nothing. Why can the Christian be anxious for nothing? Remember what we talked about? Because our God's God. Our God's God. Anxiety is really a, uh, it's really a form of blasphemy. Our God's God. Oh, He's a prayer hearing God. Oh, He's a prayer answering God. What are you anxious for, Jesus says. Your God knows what you need. What are you anxious for? He's God. We should not be anxious. You remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. He said, your life is more than food. It's more than clothing. What did Jesus say? What is the preeminent drive of humanity? What is humanity all about? In Matthew 6, seek me what? When you get around to it, if it's convenient, after you get the mortgage paid, once you get the kids educated, once you get your career on track, is that what God says? What does He say? You come after Me first. And we'll work out all this other stuff together. This is, uh, this is from the words of God Himself. Amen. So, Paul's saying to us tonight, I've learned the secret of this life. It's, and it's not the, yeah, I've learned how to beat the Jagger syndrome. I am utterly full. I am utterly satisfied. I am content in every circumstance because my God is God. Because I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether it's a day full of abundance and blessing or a day full of need and trial, Paul says, I'm content. Verse 10, he thanks the Philippians there for the gift that, that they sent to him. We talked about this at the opening of this book. You may remember Epaphroditus brought a gift from the church of Philippi to the Apostle Paul. He thanks them for this gift. Verse 11, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I love the way Paul said it. Was it last week? No, it was two weeks ago. Look, just look over to the left a little bit. Chapter 4, verse 4. How does Paul say it? Someone tell me from the text. Philippians 4 4. What does Paul say there? Rejoice in the Lord when circumstances warrant. What does he say? Always. Always. We talked about this. Always means what? Always. Always. Beloved, are you guilty of rejoicing always? This is what God calls his people to do. This is what God calls His people to do, to rejoice always. Always is never not. Always, it's always, always. You can remember that, right? Always is always. It's not about circumstance. It's never about circumstance. If circumstance takes your joy, if circumstance takes your contentment, this is not a, an issue about circumstance. This is a... You know what I'm going to say, right? This is a spiritual issue. If you call yourself a Christian tonight and circumstance can steal your joy and circumstance can cause you to uh, be thrown into grave discontent, I'm not saying we don't have hard times. I'm not saying we don't weep. I'm not saying that we don't cry. I'm not saying that we don't grieve. That's not what I'm saying. We do all of those things. But beloved... 
God has called us to rejoice always. To rejoice <clears throat> always. To rejoice always. Lost joy or discontentment is never about circumstance. It's always a spiritual issue for the believer. You know, I'm not talking about people who call themselves Christians and they're just religious. I'm talking about the born-again believer. It is a spiritual issue. It is always a spiritual issue. Remember how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We do not lose heart. Remember? We may grieve, we may cry, we may weep, we may experience perfect pain and a job comes to my mind, but we do not lose heart. We do not. And we'll talk more about that as we go through the text. Paul says, though uh, our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. I think it was in one of the songs, these momentary light afflictions are what? Producing what? An eternal weight of glory. We always look to the golden shore. We've been talking about this a lot. Paul goes on to say we're not looking at the seen things, but what do we look at? <clears throat> Beloved, if you're looking at circumstance, you're always going to talk yourself into a pout if it's a hard day. You're always going to talk yourself into a pout. You're always going to talk yourself into feeling sorry for yourself. That's always going to happen. That's what the natural flesh wants to do. The natural flesh wants to feel sorry for itself. It wants to grumble and complain. It wants to be discontent. You know, I was thinking about it. You could have a million and one blessings that you could just write down on a piece of paper if you had the discipline and the time to write it down. But you would be discontent about the one thing that wasn't just the way you wanted it. Is that how you are sometimes? That's how I am sometimes. I get so convicted. You know, I'll find myself upset about one little thing. and I, What's wrong with me? I'm supposed to be rejoicing always. And then I start to count the million and one blessings. The million and one things that, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not conscious of. And how God has just continued to, to bless me and pour goodness out upon me. And it just, you know, it's like, it's like an avalanche. It just, it just overflows that one thing. It just blows it away. And I just give the one thing to God, right? Just give the one thing to God. Just give it to the Lord in prayer. Look what Paul says, verse 11. He says, I don't speak from what? I'm, I'm content in all circumstance. Basically, what I hear Paul saying uh, here is that I am content in the providences of God. I'm content in prosperity. I'm content in poverty. Let me ask you, beloved. Some of you may have experienced both. Some of you may not have. Paul says, I'm, I'm content in both. I'm content in prosperity. I'm content in poverty. I'm utterly content. I think we touched on it in, in young adult Bible study a couple of weeks ago. What does the Bible say about contentment? God says do it, right? He says, I want you to be content. What are we supposed to be content with? Well, after the 401k is fully funded and we've got the, the house paid off, and yeah, we've got a ton of money in the bank. I mean, what does God say about contentment? What does He say? If you have what? 
food and covering, with this, God says, be content. Let me ask you, beloved, are you content? You know, we live in this materialistic society and the world, man, the world just wants you to to wring your hands all the time. You can never hoard up enough money and you can never buy enough stuff, right? If you could just buy another new thing, it would make you happy. If you could just hoard up another thousand dollars, it would make you happy. I mean, this is the message of the world. God causes people to be content. God causes people to be content. <clears throat> I was reading MacArthur's, John MacArthur's commentary on this text. Listen to what he says. Every time I see a discontented person, my first reaction is to give them a lesson on the sovereignty of God. You know, we talked a lot about this when we hit that text a month or so ago about do not complain or grumble. When we complain or grumble, really we're complaining about the providences of God. And I think Paul is saying here, I'm content in all the providences of God. Let me ask you, beloved, are you? Are you content in all the providences of God? A discontented person, you don't need to rush to meet their needs so much as you need to give them a big God uh, theology lesson. What they really need is a big God theology lesson. If they get a big God in their head, their discontent will go away. Their heart discontent will disappear if they get a big God theology, which is a, a biblical theology. Not, they don't need a, another temporal, material, you know, worldly fix. They just need to know that God is there, God is big, God is sovereign, and God is at work in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. Discontent flows out of a small God Theology. I like the way MacArthur says it. He says, you know, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians and they, they just think God is hopeful and helpful. I think I said this to you last week. They just believe God's hopeful that things will work out well for you. Or that He, he wants to be helpful, but He can't really make it happen for you because he's, he's an emasculated God. He's a pathetic God. You know, this is the kind of God that's taught in many places. Uh, around the world that call themselves a Christian church. He's presented as frustrated. He's presented as stymied. He's presented as being unable to accomplish His purposes. Well, what does God say about it? God says, I work all things according to my good pleasure. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. You know, many. listen, I know most of you are passing through and so if you ever find yourself in a church and they start talking and they start painting this picture of a pathetic God, you need to run. Because everything else falls apart. If you lose the majesty of the biblical God, if you lose His utter supreme authority and sovereignty, if you lose it, everything else will fall away. Everything else about Christianity falls away. So you run. Anytime you hear someone teaching or preaching about a small God, our God is no small God. Amen? Amen? He does all that He pleases. He does all that He pleases. Paul says in the face of the most disheartening trial, I am content. He says, I am content. I've learned to be content. 
Why is the born-again Christian content in the worst possible situation? He's content with Christ. Again, it's a spiritual issue. It's always a spiritual issue. God, I've said this to you many times, God gives Himself to His people in the trial. You know, I've told you this many times. When the trial comes, What's the question? You know, what, what, what's, what, what is it that the, that the believer really needs to be doing? Asking God, what good is he doing? Okay, amen. And looking for God. When the trial comes, I, I promise you, beloved, on, on, on biblical grounds, when the trial comes, it's a God encounter. God means to come to you. When it gets hard, when the spouse leaves, when the cancer diagnosis comes, when you lose a child, when you lose all your money in the market, whatever happens, when the trial comes, God is going to meet you in that. This is why Paul says, Paul's been through many trials. This is why Paul says with all confidence, I'm content. My God comes to me. My God never doesn't come to me in the hard spot. So the Lord comes to His people in the hard spot. It's the lesson of Job. Job never got an explanation, did he? Did Job get any ex- did God ever explain himself to Job? Never. What did Job get? Job got a disclosure. Job got a revelation. God came to Job and revealed himself to Job. And you remember what Job said? The last chapter of the book, chapter 42, Job says, Now my eye sees thee. He never got an explanation, but he did get a revelation. And I want to make sure that we get this. Paul's contentment in the hard circumstance, it flows from his big God theology. It flows from Romans 8.28. He'd written the book of Romans three years earlier. Romans 8.28, what does it say? I bet some of you could tell me by heart. What does it say? We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God those called according to uh, His purpose. Paul doesn't say we think, we hope, we believe, we suppose, we assume, we imagine. Paul says what? We know know it. Beloved, this is why we can be content in the hard thing. We know it. We know that God is going to cause this to work together for good. We know it. And if we read our Bibles and understand them, we understand that God is coming to us. The trial has come. The trial is here. God's coming. God's coming to reveal Himself to us in a brand new way. Paul's content in prison. He's content to be chained to this stinking soldier. He's content to being subject to the caprice of of Caesar. He's probably living on subsistence level. He's content. Why? His God is the big God of Romans 8.28. Beloved, if you you get this, if you get this in your heart, you can just live a huge life of faith. You understand that there are no contingencies with God. He's completely sovereign. He's completely sovereign. (laughs) Ephesians 1.11, I alluded to earlier, He works all things after the counsel of His will. Isaiah 46.10 He is establishing and accomplishing all His good pleasure. Psalm 135.6 Whatever 
our God pleases, He does in heaven and in earth. Paul's God is a big God. He's the big Romans 8.28 God. And look what Paul says there in verse 11. He says, I've learned this. This is not something that, uh, that comes by osmosis. This is something that we learn as we go deep with God, as we study His Word, as we walk with Jesus. And I really think this is the core issue of what Paul is saying to us tonight, what the Lord is saying to us tonight. Human life is all about God. Human life is all about the Lord. That's how we find contentment. That's how we learn contentment in whatever the circumstance is. Verse 12, Paul says, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how uh, to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Paul says, I can live with scarcity. I can live with abundance. I can navigate both. Can you? I can navigate both. We say prosperity is easy. Anybody can do that. Wrong. What does the Bible say? The Bible says prosperity can be what? It can be a great snare. It can be a great snare and you begin to set your affections on your prosperity. You begin to listen to the world. You begin to hoard up. Uh, you begin to buy things that you really don't, don't need or even really want. So even prosperity is a snare. But Paul says, I can navigate both. I've learned the secret. It's big God theology. It's Romans 8.28. Theology of prosperity comes. I praise my beautiful God. He is working for good in my life. If poverty comes, I praise my beautiful God. He is working good in my life. Amen? Amen. Man, if you ever get this, really, you're bulletproof spiritually. If you ever get this in your heart, if you can ever honestly confess these things, blessing or trial, I'll praise my beautiful God. I can tell you firsthand, when Karen, the cancer diagnosis came, we just fell on God. <laughs> and He gave us that disclosure. He gave us that intimate disclosure that only He gives in the hard spot. Don't run from the hard spot, beloved. Don't wring your hands at the hard spot. You be on the lookout for God. God comes to His people. God comes to His people in the hard spot. I was reading these things. You know, Paul told the, the Corinthians, he said, man, I've had sleepless nights. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I've been without food. I'm in, in the cold. I'm in exposure. I'm poorly clothed. I'm rough, roughly treated. I'm homeless. Most of the time. And I was reading this stuff and I'm thinking, too bad Paul didn't have Joel Osteen around to tell him how to name it and claim it. And Paul wouldn't have had all these problems, right? Too bad the Apostle Paul didn't seem to know how to name it and claim it. He didn't really know what Osteen says in his book, Your Best Life Now, that God wants you to be rich. In a material sense. In a temporal sense. It's too bad. I guess Paul didn't get that part. Somewhere Paul missed this. 
Obviously, I'm trying to make a contrast to the lunacy of the prosperity gospel, the blasphemous lunacy of it. The prosperity gospel, where the Bible calls us to contentment, the prosperity gospel breeds discontent. You're always wanting more. You're always wanting more. <coughs> You're always wanting more blessing. Your life becomes about the blessings of God. It's not about God anymore. It's about the blessings of God. It's a false gospel, beloved. John MacArthur tells the story of a woman who left his church to go down the street to a name it and claim it church. About a year or so later, she was back. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. He said, what do you come back for? What did you come back for? He said, they won't let me be sick or poor. And, and, and in other words, they won't let me be content in the providences of God. They won't let me be content in Romans 8.28. They won't let me be content in humble circumstance, which is what the Word calls us to be. They won't let me be content in what God is doing in my life. Paul's secret, in abundance or need, blessing or trial, Paul's secret, is that God satisfies him. God is his secret. God satisfies. Paul, one thing I want to mention to you, I know this is prevalent in modern society. We all, you know, you listen, you watch enough of the media and everybody's a victim, right? Everybody's a victim. Everybody is a victim. The richest man in the world is a victim. Everybody's a victim. Paul would never think like this. Paul would never allow himself to think like this. And I'm a victim of circumstance. Paul just received the providences of God in his life and he praised the Lord. And he rejoiced always. Beloved, that's what I'm calling you to tonight. Whatever comes, whatever comes in the providences of God, you're not a victim of circumstance. The Lord is doing a good thing in your life. Verse 13 Paul says, maybe one of the most beloved verses in all the Bible. Paul says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I shared this with my mom on the phone just yesterday. And she was emotional about my dad. I said, Mom, you know what I'm going to preach on tomorrow? Can I share it with you? And she knows this verse, obviously. I'm sure she's She's fallen on this verse many times, and I know she's falling on this verse right now. What a beautiful verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We talked about it last week. We are Nike. We are unconquerable conquerors because Christ is in us. Not because who we are, but who Christ is. And Paul says... I can do all things. I've learned the secret. God is enough for me in the hard places. And Paul's been in a lot of hard places. Let me just share the litany with you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He was beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times received 39 lashes from the Jews, three times he was beaten with rods, once he was stoned, three times shipwrecked. And then he talks about all these dangers. He said, dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, Dangers from the Jews. Dangers from the Gentiles. Dangers in the city. Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers at sea. Dangers from the false Christians. He says, I'm content 
in every bit of it. Beloved, this is a real challenge to me. I think if we're hearing it, it would be a real challenge for each and every one of us. God was sufficient for Paul in all of those circumstances. God always meets His people. God always meets His people in the hard place. <clears throat> in closing, I was thinking about I was thinking about how Satan must hate this. You know, Satan wanted... What was Satan's purpose in Job's life? To try him. And really to break his faith. This is what Satan always loves to try to do is to break the Christian's faith. To get, to get the Christian or to get Job in this case to curse God. And you know Satan hates it that what he means for evil, God in His infinite power and wisdom, has a way of turning it for what? Good. This is what God does in the believer's life. No matter what Satan throws at the believer, God will take it and work it for good. You know that Satan must hate this. He must hate it. God never explained Himself to Job. He just came to Job. He just came to Job. This is why the Christian is content in every circumstance. God is coming. God comes in the blessing. God comes in the trial. God never doesn't come to His people, beloved. God comes in the blessing and God comes in the trial. Sometimes I hear Christians say, I don't know what I'd do if that happened. I don't know what I'd do if this happened. I don't know if I could continue if that happened. Or if this person died or, or this, this thing happened. I don't know what I would... Beloved, don't talk like this. I want to challenge you, as a Christian, don't talk like this. God will meet you. If that happens, God will meet you there. You don't have to know what you'll do. God knows what to do. Amen? God knows what to do. It always comes back to faith. I can't tell you, when I counsel people, it doesn't matter what the issue is. It doesn't really matter. It can be a thousand and one things. It always comes back, will you believe God on this? Will you believe Him? It's always faith. It's always faith. It's never not faith for the Christian. <clears throat> Let me make you a promise. <clears throat> if that thing you most dread happens, I pray it doesn't, but if it does, I'll make you a promise. You'll not only survive it, if you're a Christian tonight, you'll not only survive it, but you'll emerge with praise and worship on your lips. God will have met you in the hard place. And I want you to hear me. He will be all that you need. He will be all that you need. I'm going to close with a... <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to close with Ephesians 3. Listen to how Paul says it. <clears throat> that God would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love and here's the part I want you to hear may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height 
and depth to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Beloved, God will come to you that you will that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Don't ever say, I don't know what's going to happen if, if that transpires. They'll say, I don't know if I can make it. You can make it. God will come to you and meet you there. God will come to you and meet you there. And He will fill you up with Himself. Not that I speak from what, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us that often we are discontented. Forgive us that, Father, often we wring our hands. Forgive us that we allow circumstance to drive our lives and our emotions and our feelings and our thoughts, even maybe our beliefs, Father, we, want, we don't want to be a reed in the wind. We don't want to be blown to and fro. Oh, Father, I pray that You would help us to plant our feet on the big God of Romans 8.28. And that we would actually believe and trust You. That You'll meet us in the hard place, just like You came to Job. You'll meet us in the hard place. And You're enough. You are enough. And you satisfy the hearts of your people. Not only in the temporal trial, but you satisfy the hearts of your people forever. For a billion eternities, you satisfy the hearts of your people. Lord, I pray we will not sell you short in this. I pray that we will take what you're saying to us tonight and it will become part of our lives. That we would learn contentment. That we would meditate on the secret that we won't be driven by circumstance. But we will stand on the rock. We will stand on the rock. His name is Jesus. Lord God, we want to be bold Christians and fearless Christians. Christians who turn the world upside down. Teach us, Father. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen.